Life Audio. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations. We want families to come here and gain insightful strategies that empower them to successfully teach diverse learners at home. Hosted by founder and CEO of Sped Homeschool, Peggy Ployer. Our goal is that these powerful weekly conversations will boost your confidence to cultivate the best at-home learning environment for your student. For more homeschool resources, go to spedhomeschool.com. You're listening to Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. We'll start the conversation with Peggy and her guests next. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool, a nonprofit that empowers families to home educate diverse learners. To learn more, visit spedhomeschool.com. Here's Peggy Ployer. Today we are going to talk about understanding the nonverbal child's brain. And my special guest is Stephanie Buckwalter. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, thank you, Peggy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you back again on the show. Stephanie is a, a frequent guest who has a lot of things to share. And I know we almost always fill the hour and always kind of sometimes go over because <laughs> you've got so much to share. And um, we were barraged with questions um, when we put out the reminder about this show. So um, just know that if you um, want to know what's coming up, what guests are coming on the show, that we do send that out the night before the broadcast. And um, if you're on our newsletter um, email list, you will get that email. And so you can submit your questions ahead of time. That way, if it ends up being a busy day for you the next day and you can't join us live, you'll at least get your questions answered. And then you can go back and watch the video or listen to the podcast that comes out a couple weeks after the show. So, um, so Stephanie, as we're, we're getting started, um, just kind of recap for those um, of our listeners who don't know who you are and some of your background, um, just um, a little bit about you and your family and um, what you do in the homeschool world. Okay. Um, so my name is Stephanie Buckwalter. I run two websites, artofspecialneedsparenting.com and elarplearning.com. Uh, I have five children. I've homeschooled all of them different lengths of time. And then they run the gamut of neuro of neurology. They're gifted, uh, struggling learner, special needs with moderate intellectual disability. And um, I, <laughs> I kind of space. <laughs> I forgot what else I was supposed to say. So that's, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to develop 
curriculum specific to special needs children because there's such a need, including for my life, because my daughter's in high school right now. And I couldn't find anything that worked. So with God's grace, I've been developing something. And the more I learn about what's out there about neurology, the more it reinforces what I'm doing, even though I didn't really know what I was doing when I got started. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? We just kind of learn as we go. And mm-hmm. um, and God teaches us what we need and provides exactly what we need for our child, sometimes just right in the moment. <laughs> But then it's nice to be able to share. So thank you for your willingness to just share with us um, some of the things that you've learned. And um, especially because they're so applicable to you. Um, I think that's what makes it more real and more understandable than to have a doctor on to talk about this subject. I know when we started emailing this last week, you said, what was I thinking? I'm not a brain Um, scientist, but, but again, but you have, you've experienced from the parent point of view. And I think that that's um, really good for this show is a lot of our parents wouldn't understand what somebody who was an expert in, you know, brain science would tell them. But um, I know from the experience, you know, in looking at behavior and learning and the types of things that we see as parents, it just makes a lot more sense to be able to talk about these types of things on this level. So, um, so that's kind of what we're going to be chatting about today. And Stephanie has some, some great information to share, um, from that perspective. So, um, so yes, yeah, so, so if you are watching and you have questions or comments, please put those in the feed for wherever you're watching from. Um, and and we'll we'd love to include what you have to say um, in our conversation as well, even if you're joining live and you didn't submit it ahead of time. Um, so, Stephanie, I know you said that the first question that parents usually ask when especially when they have a nonverbal child is, will my child ever speak um, or learn to speak? Um, what do you tell them? There's um, there's no way to know especially in the early days. So uh, the journey I went on was, you know, will my child learn to speak? Will my child ever learn to speak? And then over time, it morphs into, will my child learn to communicate? And that's really where we end up is the speaking is really communication. And when you don't have a proper way to communicate, it ends up being behavior that communicates. Right. And those behaviors are usually not appropriate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going through that right now uh, still. <clears throat> so uh, appropriate communication is sometimes more important than speaking. Don't ever give up hope on your child speaking. I still have yes, it. And she's a teenager. So mm-hmm. But um, but at some point you need to switch to will my child communicate? And as you're working on communication, you can still work on speaking. Yes. Yeah. Communication is really where it all comes down to. And um, communication can happen in lots of different ways. And um, I know we're going to focus my guest who was supposed to be on last week. We got the time mixed up. And so and then I had to speak at an online conference. So she's coming on tomorrow. Um, So we're going to do back to back on this. But her sheets, we're going to talk about tapping into communication pathways. And that's her expertise area. So um, so we're going to definitely be be talking about that um, on the show still this month. Um, but but yes, that that's that's a great um, perspective to have is is that you just can't give up. But but you do want your your child to be able to to be able to communicate. And the communication isn't just always speaking, but it's being able to read, you know, just signs of things around us that may not even be words. It may just be like um, nonverbal types of, of communication as well. Um, so, so anyways, we'll dive into a lot of that. And Stephanie knows a whole lot more than I do because <laughs> this is <laughs> all not my kids I spoke and they spoke too much. So, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, but I had siblings also that um, were nonverbal. And um, so my parents did some of the like eye gazing techniques um, for my daughter or my, not my daughter, my sister who had anencephaly. Um, and, and so I'm kind of familiar with some of that as a, a sibling in a family. And so, um, but, but yeah, let's, um, let me dive into my next question. So are there any other ways a child can communicate 
if they don't speak? There are many, and your child is probably already using them. Like they just use them naturally. They, right. um, you know, gesturing, grunting, any kind of sounds. We already mentioned behavior <laughs> being mm-hmm. a way to communicate because all behavior is communication. But more formal, structured ways of learning are PECs, which pictorial something communication system. I don't know what the E stands for, mm-hmm. but PECs actually stands for something. And that's using the picture cards and pointing. So it's oh, yeah. a no tech way to communicate. Then uh, building on that, there's AAC devices. And that's a, you can do, well, you can even do something as simple as a yes, no button. And that's like oh, a, yeah. a mm-hmm. low tech. And then a right. high tech would be using an AAC device, whether it's an iPad or a dedicated device. Those are ways to communicate. You can also communicate with sign language. Mm-hmm. My daughter learned sign language very early on, and she got up to like 600 signs, but she's lost them over time because we've started focusing on other things. But every once in a while, a sign will come up, and I'm like, ah, I can't even remember what that is. Oh, no. I still remember <laughs> what they are. So those are the main ones, sign language, AAC, speech, you know, go through speech therapy to produce sounds to speak. Right. Um those are those are the main ones. I feel like I'm missing one. The eye gaze that you talked about is another one. And then there's also something that's really uh, catching attention right now, and it's spelling to communicate, which yes. is kind of based on the SOMO rapid prompting method. I think she was the first one who kind of brought that to the fore. And then people are building on that. And there was a movie that came out this month called Spellers. And if you go to spellersthemovie.com, okay. you can, I think for $10, you can view the movie. Oh. Uh, but it's about these six six people who learned how to spell to communicate when they were older, like teenagers. And now they're advocates for um, that. Basically uh, these were all kids with autism. And although they were moderate to severe, you know, where you, they couldn't control their bodies in that sense, but they learned how to spell using gross motor instead of fine motor and they have normally functioning brains and many of them go on to college. Wow. And it's yeah. just crazy to think that, you know, when we see someone, we, we think of, you know, that that's, that's it, but their brain is really working inside without being able to motor plan what they're thinking to tell right. you what they're thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been in contact with them actually, and they were oh. going to have the main person that's over that, um, that organization come on with me with a student. Um, we're still working on the details about that, but if that oh, works good. out, I will throw that in as an extra um, broadcast because um, because it's just fascinating how that all works out. I know when my my daughter or my daughter I've said it again, my sister with anencephaly <laughs> um, when she um, when my parents figured out this eye gazing technique with her. Even the neurosurgeon that was working with her, I mean, she basically had a brainstem. That was it. And he was amazed at what she could do with that small amount of brain and what, she, what was going on in there. And you just, we, as a society, discount individuals who we don't see as the possibility of what's going on inside. And, um, and you know, behavior calmed. All these things started coming together for her when, when that communication bridge was um was made so um so yeah just never give up there's um there's so much more that um that people who can't communicate have to say and we just have to figure out how to get it out and um, to help them to communicate so love that after a word from our sponsor we'll dive back into this conversation is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today 
wherever books are sold. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool. Go to spedhomeschool.com to get resources and support for teaching your unique learner at home. So is a nonverbal child's brain different than other child's brains? I know that's that's kind of the, the title of our, um, our broadcast. So, um, so we're all dying to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes and no. Like you said, you can have children with, there are things going on in their brain that aren't going on in neurotypical brains. You were talking about your sister, your daughter slash sister. Yes. <laughs> your, your sister who uh, had just a brainstem and yet she could yeah. still communicate. She could still do many things. Yeah. But there are, and my daughter, she has six brain anomalies that uh, wow. we have, we now have a diagnosis. And so we know it's a genetic condition. That was just ah, how the brain formed wow. while it was forming in the womb. Right. All these little things happened to it. So the brain does, um, it can appear the same, but it works differently. So what I want to do is I'd like to share some slides in a minute and explain how the brain works and have these layers of development that lead to higher order thinking. Because when we think of school, yes. we always think of this higher order thinking. Right. And the only way to get there is through an organized brain. So if your brain isn't organized neurologically, then you're really not going to get there. So many yeah. of us with special needs kids are working in these other levels of the brain. So um, you can go ahead and yeah. you know put up some slides and then I'll sure. kind of walk through them. And okay. So it's, and if you have questions, just ask them in the chat and I can answer them at the end or if uh, Peggy thinks I'll they're, they're like, I'll should do it right now. Probably too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, one of my favorite things to say when I'm teaching on this is, you know, the saying, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. Absolutely. <clears throat> what I'm hoping to do is teach you all the fish because that's the only way you're going to get through this. Mm, <laughs> you're mm -hmm. going to have to, your child is unique and individual. There's no right. one that knows them better than you, loves them better than you. <clears throat> so you got to be able to fish to help your child. So hopefully Absolutely. this will get you there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, I'm just going to talk about the brain in general terms. Like I said, I'm not a neurologist. I don't have any training in neurology. Um, so we're just going to talk about this in general terms. There's the upper brain, the cerebral cortex. Well, let's start the lower brain. So there's the lower brain, and that's considered, some people call it the old brain. And that's where your fight or flight instinct is, all your mm -hmm. uh, your automatic nervous system things, you know, your breathing, all that stuff comes out of there. And there's the midbrain, <clears throat> which is your basic executive functioning, you know, how you get through day-to-day -day life. And then there's the upper brain, the cerebral cortex, and that's where your higher order thinking takes place. And we're talking about going to school, we think of the normal progression is when you're a baby, your lower grade, your lower brain organizes itself. And then the midbrain, you know, it's learning and training. And then you start working on the higher order in the higher brain functions. And here's a little example. This is kind of like what you see on the outside of a person. Is this the? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so this is what you will see on the outside. So if your child's brain is really well organized, they can be doing academics without a problem. If they have some struggles, regardless of the cause, they may be having struggles with the executive function areas like problem solving and study skills, time management. Um, right. There might be like ADHD, mild ADHD might be in there, things like that or even the lower part of the midbrain is the cognitive processing skills. If they're having problems with memory or language, that's yeah. even lower down in the brain, or just attention and focus, hand-eye coordination, sensory integration, all that's taking place down in the lower brain. So that's kind of what it looks like on the outside. This is, if you picture the brain behind this, I didn't have the brain behind this one. Mm -hmm. um, it ties into the central nervous system. So this is what's going on on the inside of your brain. So that lower part of the brain are your sensory systems. And those should be integrating in the infant years and somewhat in the toddler years. And then you start moving mostly in the infant years and then you move into the sensory motor area. And that's where you're getting reflex maturity and your ability to figure things out and um, 
you start feeling that sense of security, you know, you're, it's okay to leave mom and dad because you know they're going to be there when you get back kind of thing. Right. Perceptual motor development is an even higher order skill. And then you get up to the intellect and uh, cognition area. Hmm. So when I got lots of, lots of brain slides here. So the way, let me, no, I didn't, I don't have the one that I'm thinking of. Okay. Sorry. Let's go back to this one. Okay. So when the way your brain develops is you get sensory input into one side through the five senses, mm -hmm. your brain will process it. And then you produce some kind of motor output that could be speech, writing, sports, you know, all those things that you do. You'll notice right. on the inside, there's vestibular and proprioceptive input, which those are internal senses. Vestibular is your sense of balance. Right. Proprioceptive is your sense of where you are in space. So those are kind of internal senses. So we're looking at seven senses here. Okay. So you have sensory input and then motor output. And our brains change when our senses are stimulated. Because, you know, they've done studies, a baby left alone in a crib, uh, right. particularly yes. like an orphanage or something, mm -hmm. there's very little stimulation and their brains don't develop. So input. So if your child is, the more struggles your child has with overall function, the right. more input they need in the specific areas where they struggle. Oh, okay. So here's a layman's way to look at the brain. <laughs> so look at the brain with all the little details. It's just easier to think of it like this. I mm -hmm. actually got this idea from my daughter's OT. When she explained this to me, this was a huge light bulb moment for me. So mm -hmm. if your child, so think of your brain like a house. So the basement yep. is that lower fight or flight area. Mm -hmm. and you have the main level and then the attic. The problem with my daughter is she functioned out of the basement. She lived in the basement every day. That's how she goes your daughter lives in the basement oh. <laughs> and you have to get her out of the basement because if you don't get out of the basement, you can't move up into the higher order thinking right. needed. So think about where your child functions most of the time in the basement in the fight or flight. Are they like constantly anxious or yelling or screaming or, you know, banging their heads on the wall? They're living in fight or flight. Right. So your goal with therapy would be to get them out of fight or flight if they're, you know, able to function in daily living fairly well, but they can't quite get up into the academic areas, then they're functioning mostly on the main level. And then if they're neurotypical and able to handle, uh, you know, academic schoolwork at their grade level, then they've achieved higher level thinking. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. And so when you're doing therapy, there are two kind of approaches to therapy. Now, if you look over on the right, the motor output therapies, those are in general, you know, not exactly because I know they mess with input and all that stuff, but in general, they're focused on the motor output. A speech therapist, you know, they'll like move the mouth around right. and use little tongue yep. things to get your tongue mm -hmm. to work right. Physical therapy, occupational ter therapy, the ABA therapy, those are primarily focused on motor, motor output. And you will recognize those because those are the ones that insurance will pay for. So right. those are the ones everybody does. Yeah. Now, my suspicion is that insurance pays for those because they're easy to measure. <laughs> you know, you can measure right. yes, this person was doing this now and now they're not because mm -hmm. the insurance companies require evidence-based therapies if they're going to pay for them in general. Right. But there is a whole nother group of therapies that you can use. And these are especially helpful if your child is in that basement or even mm -hmm. in the lower part of the midbrain is music listening therapy. Now there's music mm -hmm. therapy, uh, but this is what I'm talking about is sound therapy, music listening therapy, right. where you're using music that's been adapted to stimulate parts of the brain. Yes, yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah, we've, we actually did that, and that was the thing that got my daughter out of the basement, was wow. the music listening therapy by Advanced Brain, ABT.com, hmm. I think, advancedbrain.com. It's ABT is the name of the company. And, you know, I could talk about that for a long time, but so music <laughs> listening therapy, developmental movement uh, mm -hmm. is another um, way. And that would be, um, you probably know like some companies that have been partners. Cross body type of movement, like Diane Craft type mm -hmm. types of things. And yeah, crossing I know the I, midline. Crossing the midline. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's rhythmic movement therapy, which is really working on 
integrating reflexes. And I'll go back and look at the brain picture in just a minute. And then there's brain training. And that would be like Dr. Carol uh, Brown's, um, mm -hmm. like, yeah. Does her. Jan Bedell do that with brain sprints? Is that um, the kind of stuff they're doing there? Is she doing more she, of the There's neurodevelopmental types of, she's of doing training like movement. that too. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So what you're doing with these therapies, let's go back to this brain picture back here. So this, so when your, when your child is functioning down here in fight or flight, what you're doing is using those, you want to use therapies that stimulate the input to produce the motor output that you're looking for. And those therapies I had listed on the left side, the music listening, the developmental movement, rhythmic movement, brain training, the, the brain training stuff that I have found commercially available if they, if they turn themselves brain training, I have asked several of them, well, do you work with special needs kids who have moderate disabilities? And most of them will admit, no, they don't. They don't. I know. So brain training is kind of going from midbrain into, you know, getting them up there and the stuff works. There's, there's not a problem with that. It's just right. their market is not your kid. If it's like mine, who, if you're starting in the basement, brain training is not going to get you there. You need exactly. to start doing some of those, like the rhythmic movement therapy, which uh, I know you interviewed Sonia Story back in January. Yes, she had some great, great, yes, uh huh, great information. And I didn't know that, that she was also a homeschooler. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I find these these techniques, like I when I teach Ariel, I've been working on cross body or moving a separate arm and a separate leg, and a lot of my kids can't do it. You know, they're they're grade school kids. Um, and, and their parents always just tell me, oh, they're ADHD. And I'm like, well, we're going to work on that. <laughs> I might be their coach, but, um, but those are a lot of things that sports address. If, if your coach has an understanding of, of why, um, those things are important, but, yeah. but again, it's listening skills, attention, focus, you know, that eye hand coordination, all of those get involved in, in those, those types of activities. So, so when you're choosing therapy, like you're talking about there with, you know, yes, you know, they have ADHD. Well, we can work on that. So mm -hmm. just when you're choosing therapy, let me go back to the therapy slide. Is that it? No, um, it's, I think it was forward. This there. one. So when you're choosing therapy, yes, go ahead and take advantage of those because the ones on the right, because they're probably being paid for either by the school or by a, a government program. And but also look at some of these other ones, because if your child is functioning out of the basement, you've got to start at a lower level of therapy. Yes. And you'd be amazed at how well those work, just integrating those reflexes. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, just go to moveplaythrive.com and right. you'll learn everything you need to know about that. There are other ones, too. That's just the one I'm familiar with. Right. Mm -hmm. the, and you can search um, our previous broadcast by with Sonia Story too, and um, and that whole broadcast shares she shared so much information. It was kind of make my brain <laughs> overload, but I was really really good. I've actually taken her class, her her foundations of development one, level one. I took yeah. her class, but my daughter's brain was so sensitive. I could only do like small movements. So she helped me. Mm -hmm. She, you know, I'd call her and she'd say, she'd right. tell me what to do and stuff. It was really good. Um, so rhythmic movement will integrate the reflexes. The next one above that is the developmental movement, the learning to cross the midline. And if you can't afford therapy, if you can't do anything else with your child, if your kid is ambulatory, walk. Yes. Walking is, yes. we were designed, God designed us to walk one foot in front of the other and swing those arms. Now my daughter yeah. carries an iPad with her at all times for talking. And so she's kind of, and she's already got an imbalance and like she's got this little balance thing going. <laughs> so what I do with her to get her to at least get that left, right, left, right thing going mm -hmm. um, without that extra hand moving that should, you know, that's not mirrored on the other side is we put her dolls in a stroller and she has to push the stroller. So that oh, way her okay. hands are not moving in the wrong rhythm, but her right. feet are moving in the right rhythm. And a long time ago, I was kind of clued in on this a very long time ago, I read uh, Sue Patrick's workbox system. And in her book where she explains her system, she talked about her son and she had him work on a treadmill. 
Uh And he would just, and every day he had, you know, he worked up in time how long he could do it. But she believes that that was very helpful in organizing him. So like I said, if you can't afford anything, God gave us a way through walking. So walk, 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 and work up to it. And if your child doesn't walk, then you can um, practice those kind of movements where you're alternating left and right side. And then once you learn to alternate left and right side, then it's crossing the midline. Now, using left and right side is already kind of crossing the midline because, you know, the right side of your left side of your brain moves the right side of your body and vice versa. So you're, you're kind of doing that already, but doing it even more intensely is crossing it. So that was the other thing that I don't have a slide for here. I've talked about other places and that's frequency, intensity, and duration. Yes. So, Oh, Oh, I do have a slide for that. Wait, I didn't go far enough through. (laughs) Okay. So let's see. So here, here it is right here. Yes. There we go. Okay. So yeah. So we finished all the therapy stuff. So what you want to work with when you're doing therapy is frequency, intensity, and duration. So if your child is living in the basement, you're going to be doing high frequency, high intensity, and you can't see the bottom bullet there, at least I can't, Mm -hmm. um, short duration. Yeah. And yeah. And so you only, you can do five minutes a day, four times a day is better than a 20 minute session. Now, planning that and getting your child to attend yes. <laughs> four different times a day for five minutes, that could be a real challenge, <laughs> right. but, but you can kind of do it on the fly. So you don't, when they're, when the intense, when they need a lot of that input, think about it this way. If you're, when you're talking to a baby, you know, a little baby, you don't sit there for 20 minutes and like read the story, read the baby a book. Okay. You yeah. can say, Oh, you know, you talk to them while you're changing the diaper, you talk to them while you're cooking dinner, you talk to them just a little bit here and there all day. So right. that's what you're trying to emulate with this frequency, intensity, and duration. The frequency is a lot. Intensity is you're not choosing your words carefully. You're kind of, you may right, be doing exactly. a little baby talk, but if you're talking about, you know, sauteing the vegetables, you're not going to change the words, right? You're going you're gonna to use the higher level words because that's what's appropriate. So it's the same idea. And then as you move up in the main level, you were doing less, less frequent, less intense, but a longer duration. And by the time you're in the upper levels, think high school level thinking, right? Or college okay. level, you know, you can study English like in college. It's once a week. Well, right. the classes are exactly. one, you, know, you can go to class once a week and do some homework for six weeks. So it's very low frequency. The intensity vary depending on how familiar you are with the topic. And then a much longer duration, like you can sit once a week for three hours in a class. In high school, it's once a week for an hour, that kind right. of thing. So it varies over time. So that's another thing you have to understand about working with your child's brain and language and speaking. You have to know where they are so that you can use the appropriate level of frequency, intensity, and duration to make an impact and to physically change their brain because that's what this is doing this frequency intensity duration i forgot to say that the purpose is to change their brain right it's not to stay in whatever level they're in in the house and say well this is where you're going to be and i think that's kind of the unfortunately the mindset that a lot of people approach it at it's like well this is the way your child is and so this is where you're going to teach them like all the time um but but that gives us hope that we can we can work at that level and then get them beyond that and into the next level. Yes, and it's made. I've I do this with my daughter too. I, and I've done it. I kind of did it naturally before I learned about frequency, intensity, and duration. But I went to the Family Hope Center, which is neurologically based training. Okay. And it was like a little yeah. two or three day conference uh, workshop thing. And that was a huge eye opener because that's where I really learned and understood this. And that, you know, starting out with crawling, redoing the movements of childhood that we probably missed. Like my daughter didn't walk until she was almost three. Okay. And, you know, she crawled for a little bit longer, but she was sitting in a lot of things because her motor planning was way, way off. And (laughs) I feel bad about this, but she was, it wasn't until she was well over two years old that she actually lifted her hands to be picked up. And it didn't occur to me 
and the physical therapist never mentioned it. <laughs> it's not just me that she couldn't do that. And even to this day, she can't oh. get that one arm higher than this without me oh. helping her get it up there. This one goes up fine. Sure. Um, so all so I thought, oh, she's just so content. And right. she wasn't. She was. She just couldn't do it. She couldn't lift her hands. You so, were busy so. with other kids too, so you got to give yourself some oh. grace on that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I still think that's like going. Uh, but she, we held her a lot because I believe me, I carried her around. She was still 60 pounds. She was 60 pounds and I was still carrying her on my hip. If we were somewhere and she couldn't walk very far, I would just, you know, hike her on the hip and take her, you know, 60 Mm. pounds. Um, I still have great muscle memory. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) So let me see if I have any more slides. Um, so learning to do therapy at home allows you to follow through with frequency, intensity, and duration. So if you're doing therapy with anyone, if you can observe them, now some therapists will let you and they don't care. Others right. realize that if you learn how to do it yourself, they'll be out of a job. Right. So, <laughs> uh, but the idea isn't to, you know, fire the therapist. They serve a very valid, good, solid purpose. Right. But if you're paying for therapy once a week, you're not going to get the frequency you need. So ask for homework. Absolutely. And yes. Then, follow through to the best of your ability. So mm-hmm. don't, don't be afraid to ask for homework so you can get that frequency in there and they will give you the intensity and duration. They'll tell you, the therapist will tell you. Right. Uh, those, the, the what, what quantity to do in each of those. Yeah, absolutely. And this was just uh, another thing. And this kind of relates to that spelling to communicate thing, which was another aha movement. When I saw the young man interviewed, who's, the movie is based on a book and the book was written by him and his father. And the, I saw an interview with the father and he said that the reason spelling to communicate worked was because we were, he was spelling with large motor movements. And I'll explain that. So our bodies were designed for coherence, right? So God's a God of order. As a baby grows, he develops from the top down. So the brain the yeah. big old baby brain, right. <laughs> big old baby yeah. head, big head. brain <laughs> develops. And then if you notice, they start to, they're able to move their hands and kick their legs. And then they're able to crawl and then they're able to stand. And so each one of those, that, that, that development is yeah. moving down and out. So it goes from the midline to the outside too. So therapy that improves neurological organization brings coherence to the body. So if your child is living in an incoherent fight or flight body, that's what you need. Your That body needs neurological organization. So the therapies that you should be doing and focusing on are those that bring coherence to the body. And yeah, I think that was it. Okay. So um, back to this one on the, so on the spelling to communicate, and I think I found this to be true with my daughter too, learning how to write, you know, she practiced her letters forever, could never do it. Well, one summer we were sitting out on the deck and we were writing, we were learning things in context. And I was using, I had big old butcher paper and I was putting dots to trace the letters. And so I would do one stroke at a time, like A, I do the circle and let her trace that. And then I do the line. So she was learning one at a time. I was verbalizing it. So she was, you know, developing an internal dialogue on how to draw these things. But I think one of the keys was because it was on butcher paper, the letters were like two inches tall. And so oh, yeah. she was using her arm to draw and not her finger. Her fing- oh. The arm is large motor and the fingers are fine motor. Right. Well, fast forward, learning about this spelling to communicate and seeing this guy interviewed, what they do with spelling to communicate is they start with a board with letters and you take a pencil and you, with intent, you know, you have to have some intention. You have to be able to follow through with intent and they poke the pencil through the stencil with to indicate what letter they're talking about. So that way you were sure what letter they were talking about. Right. And then you fade that back to just a piece of paper with letters on it. And then that to a clear piece of paper. So it's increasing the difficulty of what they're doing. And Mm -hmm. then eventually some of them are able to transfer those large motor skills where they learn to spell and communicate. So that part is established then they can get the fine motor. But trying to, apparently, when you're trying to learn language and communication, speech is a fine motor skill. <laughs> okay, You're yeah, using a lot of muscles and a lot of things. And it doesn't help if your child has 
uh, fight or flight problems, the vagus nerve runs right down your neck and it affects yes. all these systems in here. And so the spelling, whether it's, you know, while I was doing the handwriting or doing the, the poking through for the spelling to communicate, it takes it out of, takes communication out of the fine motor area and into the large motor area. Right. And oftentimes, because, and because we're like, we're talking about here on this picture, the, the gross motor, you know, moving your arms comes before moving your fingers. So gross mm. motor develops before fine motor. So if your child is still working on fine motor, you can work in your child's area of, of ability, which is gross motor before. So that way you're separating. I don't know if I'm saying this very well. So you're separating. You don't want them working on learning how to communicate and spell and do all these other things at the same time, their body right. is trying because to learn fine motor skills. Difficulty on top of difficulty. Yes. Yeah. So if they know gross motor skills, then they don't have to think about that. They don't have to use brain energy for, you know, doing this or doing Absolutely. this. Mm -hmm. They can focus on what the higher level thinking. And that's mm -hmm. also how our kids end up with scatter skills and all kinds of things. So you just kind of work in their ability. So that was another big aha for me was, yeah. Use gross motor. If fine motor is not working, use gross motor mm -hmm. to teach. Absolutely. And you can use that in any subject, not just communication. Yeah. 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 That's, um, yeah, it, it helps to understand, you know, where, where they're coming from. Why are they coming from that way? What, what, what may be some, the underlying reasons? Cause I think we just think if we change the approach, we're going to change the, the issue, but really we have to change this the foundation, the skills when we're, where they're being built from. And um, no matter what, you know, curriculum you change to, um, if you don't have that foundation, it's still not going to work um, because you need, you, everybody needs that foundation to build on. And you did a great job of, of showing us how that works. Oh, um, so we had a question and I think we're both going to kind of answer this a little bit together um, from one of our viewers. They asked about how is the brain of a child with FASD different than a child with autism or maybe even a child that um, has, you know, some nonverbal um, communication skills. So um, did you want to say anything about that at all? Or do you want me to try to approach it first and then you add in? <laughs> um, well, I'm not sure because uh, you mentioned that you have experience with this with your siblings mm -hmm. and I've, I'm not familiar. I haven't taken a deep dive into brain function and those particular areas. Autism, I know a lot of because that's where I do a lot of my research, but I'm not particularly uh, familiar with fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, um, out of my 10 adopted siblings, um, seven of them have FASD. And um, three of my siblings have actually been part of a study of the, at the University of Minnesota and had brain scans. Um, and because the University of Minnesota was doing um, some more in-depth research on fetal alcohol syndrome, and actually these three siblings, too, were um, affected by meth um, at, in utero and then afterwards um, before we were able to, um, they actually lived in a meth house for two to three years of their lives. Um, it was pretty bad. So um, my one brother, when they took a brain scan, the whole middle of his brain was missing. Wow. So what, what fetal alcohol or what alcohol or drugs do when the utero, um, in, when children are in utero is they, um, they leave gaps in the brain. And so, so there's spaces and when, when neurologically a child will try to develop these pathways, but when it hits one of these spaces, they instantly go to the most primal primitive reflex because mm. <laughs> they no longer have a pathway on how to solve that problem. And in order for the, the brain to be organized, um, often it takes them almost into their 30s before the brain organization is fully developed. So if you have a child who has fetal alcohol, don't expect them to graduate at 18. Um, my parents learned very quick that that was 
too high of an expectation that um, the statistics are now that most kids with um, fetal alcohol will either be in jail or dead by the time that they're in their 30s, unless for some reason, and it's a very small percentage, make it into adulthood and actually get beyond that that age where their brain organization finally happens. Um, thankfully, one of my brothers is in a tremendous success case, and it's hard to say it's a success case because he lived through a lot um, and before he got to his 30s. But now that he's in his, his 30s, almost 40s, um, he is going on to get his master's degree. He has guardianship of um, his ex-wife's two girls because um, and he fights for their accommodations in the public school. Um, he's done really well, but um, he unfortunately is a very small statistic of that um, people with that um, that just how it affects their brain and um, that FASD label. So um, so just know you are working against those spaces. And you have to keep training and training because every time you teach your child something and you expect it to to hit, it may have hit one of those spaces. And I know um, the three siblings that I talked about, we actually did foster care, emergency foster care for them for almost two years in our house. And um, it is very frustrating because you'll teach them one thing one day and all of a sudden the next day, the way the firing goes, it goes right to that space and nothing that the, you taught them, they will remember. And um, just know that it's, again, it's that, that frequency. You're going to have to keep that frequency up and you're going to have to do it more long-term than a regular parent um, in homeschooling. So, yes, so that's that's my experience and um, what we've learned over the years in, in helping my siblings. That's, that's, uh, that's interesting. So I have a question, though. When, yep. um, so when you said that, you know, he'd remember things one day but not the next, when he was older, did those things all kind of fall into place? Like, was it still back there somewhere and it came out or they're, they're coming. Yeah. They, they kind of come together. A lot of times the, it was the hardest things that, um, that we found that they had issues with was sequencing things. Um, because oftentimes the sequence got, got lost somewhere in the translation and, or there was, you know, we got the first part in and then we hit that gap and then somehow the second part got in on a good day and, um, but then making the connection of how those things go together. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. But, but yeah. So should we dive through some of these other questions and see how much we can get through? And yeah. uh, we had quite yeah, a if few. You wanna, if you want, you can save the one, I think that you sent it to me last from Gretchen, the what can I do day to day? If you save that one for the end, I think that's a good wrap up for. Okay. All right. So let's talk reading first then. Um, mm -hmm. Anne sent in a question. She said, how do you teach reading, assess reading without reading aloud? I'm trying my best to advocate for my son who's minimally verbal. This was my biggest frustration when I started homeschooling my daughter because she's nonverbal and with moderate intellectual disability. I had already been homeschooling my son, so my intent was not to put her in public school. I just kept uh, homeschooling her. Right. But no one ever really answered the question for me. So I'll <laughs> tell you what I did. But there may be better answers out there, but this is what I did. So I began teaching individual words in context. I got a hold of the Soma Rapid Prompting Method book. It's the red one. It was the only one out at the time. Now she has more out, but it's the red book. Okay. Um, so when she was around second grade, we started using that. And basically, as I would talk, I would write out the word, sound it out, say it again and keep going. And then after that, she could, from an array, you know, I get like 20 words and I put them all out there and I say, which word is blah, blah, blah. And she could pick them out from an array of 20. Oh, so okay. that wasn't a problem. Now, if there are words that started with the same letter, she would miss those. And I would have to remind her, say, you know, look, you have to look at the whole word, not just the first letter. Right. And then she could usually pick it out. And she continues to be able to do this for the day. Now, the problem is that doesn't help with reading comprehension. So she was in public school for a few years and her comprehension didn't improve there either. So I think they used a lot of verbal prompting, but she can't process verbal prompting. So just be aware with your nonverbal child, too many words all at once can really trip them up and yes. you know, trying to do things. So you have to have a lot of patience and what you think is a long pause. <laughs> make it longer <laughs> right? just, just count in your head. They won't know. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. So uh, so now we're using Soma Rapid Prompting and Spelling to Communicate, where you read a passage, answer the questions using 
some kind of spelling device, either a keyboard or the, the letter boards. So first okay. she'll point to the answer so I'll know that she has comprehension. So when they can't speak, you have to be able to give them a visual way, whether it's a picture, because I know when they do testing at that age for comprehension, they'll just show them pictures and they'll say a sentence and say, which picture is that is the sentence talking about? So you have okay. to give them, my daughter likes words. And so she can recognize words very easily as proved in the first exercise we did. Right. Um, but at times I'll have to give her a picture. Like when she's having a really hard processing day, I have to sign what I'm saying to her so that she can understand it. Um, so anyway, so we use that. So when we, um, when we work together on spelling on a letter board, again, that uses a large motor versus fine motor, less stress on the brain. And she has a hard time sequencing the letters in her name. So sequencing is a problem with yeah. us too. Uh -huh. um, so I just use frequency, intensity, and duration to speed up the learning process Okay. by doing the high frequency, high intensity, short duration, because that's where she's at. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. Um, another question we had from a viewer um, from Maryland, she asked, she said, my son hums and it appears to be self-calming. Do you have any other suggestions to try for self-calming or how can he let us know before he gets upset and starts screaming? Okay, this isn't going to be a therapy answer. Okay. You can ask that question to therapy. <laughs> this is a good mom answer. <laughs> so, so I'm going to give, I'm going to give an answer. Some of my answers I know are off the wall. Um, but this is how I learned. So for self-calming, take cues from your son. So the humming could relate to the sound or the vibration. Oh, and okay. I recently taken a deep dive into multiple, multiple intelligences, also known as the eight great smarts, Kathy, K-O-C-H. <laughs> I still Kathy don't know how to pronounce her name. Yes. Uh -huh. but, um, has written a book on that. And I, I gleaned a lot from that too. So I realized that when I need a break from the realities of special needs parenting, mm -hmm. I naturally take refuge in my smarts. After reading about the smarts, I was like, oh, because when I'm stressed, you know, my top three smarts are nature smart, word smart, and logic smart. So for me, listening to music is not going to be my first line of defense for self-calming because it's not, it, it doesn't interest me. And now I think I know why, because right. that's not one of my smarts. I'm not naturally attracted to that. So I would rather read, which is the word smart, learn something, which is the logic smart, or go outside, which is the nature smart. So for your son, humming could possibly indicate music smart, which is the sound, or body smart, which is the vibration. So maybe look at listening to music or music sound resonance technique videos. I don't know if you know that, that MSRT, just, huh. um, just search for MSRT on YouTube. And you'll find these videos and it's just these videos of minutes or up to hours of just sound like someone pouring beads or beads pouring really? out of a glass on long play. Okay? Wow. And it has huh. a really calming effect on the nervous system. And since he seems to be sound oriented, those might be just the ticket at, at the time you need it. Right. And that's readily yes. available on your phone. So that makes it nice. Yeah. So search MSRT, see what comes up. And then I tend to stay away from the ones with words because I don't have time to listen to make sure that they're not saying weird stuff. Right. You know, yeah. Subliminal message stuff in there. So mm -hmm. I make sure it's just sounds, no words. For body smart, look to movement. So the smarts work together. So if your child's nature smart, that'd be moving outdoors. If it's word smart, might be play acting. If it's music smart, then it might mean dancing or even drumming. So the best way to find triggers is to observe and analyze. Sorry, it's a little bit, little bit long, little, little bit long answer, but I think it'll be helpful. So um, best way is to for triggers to observe and analyze. So anytime your son has a negative response, look at what happened immediately before and write it down. And then hopefully you'll start to see a pattern. Uh, were there any changes in the environment? Like, did you move to a new room? Did a sound come on? Did did a fan right. start on him, you know, the air conditioning fan or whatever? If nothing obvious presents itself, then look a few hours back. What was the last thing he ate? Was it something known to cause inflammation? Good. Which yes. is basically wheat, sugar, corn, preservatives, MSG, dairy, you know, that could have, the trigger could have actually been hours ago. Right. Or if there's nothing still that presents itself, is there something worrying him? Is there a doctor appointment coming up in a few days? Is it close to vacation or Christmas? Someone he really likes or dislikes coming for a visit. Any yeah. of these can cause that anxiety that'll show up at unexpected times. So it's really just, I call mm. it being a noticer. So right. notice what your child does, go back to the immediate past and then a few mm -hmm. hours back and then even a day or more back to see if there's something that's 
some commonality that's causing these triggers and then you'll know how to how to how to start working with them on it. Absolutely. Yes. So another question we had is, is there any such thing as a gazalt, gazalt? I don't, I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, Cognitive processing similar to the gazalt language processing, understanding chunks of information before perceiving parts of it. Yeah, this is an interesting question. And I had to look it up to get a clear idea of what that gestalt language processing is. Um, And I think the concept of gestalt language, uh, cognitive processing is key to teaching a special needs child, even though it doesn't, may not really exist. Well, I simply call it teaching in context because the E in my ELARP homeschooling method stands for explore. And this sets up the context in which the child will learn. So when you explore a topic, you do it without testing, without expectations, just for the sheer joy of learning about the topic. Just like if you were on vacation and you're like, oh, look, there's a museum on whatever, um, you know, World War II airplanes. You're not going to test yourself on it. You're not going to expect that you remember everything you see. You're just going to go look at stuff and have fun. So that's the idea of teaching in context is you just explore the topic first without all the academics attached to it. And then as you explore, you're going to add the vocabulary, which is going to be the who, what, where, and when of the topic. And then you're going to progress to how things work. And then from there, you're going to understand the why. So each step of this, by the way, takes a higher level of thinking. So you start with the big picture or the context, Mm -hmm. then move to learning the language of the topic, how it works, and then why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know we just produced, we just um, put out an article on our website, and it does talk about that Gestalt um, language um, processing a little bit and how that works with autism. So if you're interested in, in that and want to know more about that, you can check out our website at spedhomeschool.com. And that's um, one of our articles there. Um, So I think I'm going to save Abigail's question for tomorrow's broadcast because we're going to be talking about communication because she talked about um, how to meet child's needs um, in a world designed for verbal communication. So I'm going to pass that on to Kate since we're we're getting short on time. Um, And and maybe Danielle's question as well. Um, so we'll make sure that we get those answered um, in the next one. We had one person that was a new homeschooler. Any encouragement on that? Um, Jin, Jing Jing um, asked, I'm new to homeschool. How can I make a homeschool organized, fun, and engaging while well, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old? And I know you, you we've We've done an interview on homeschool organization, too. So I thought this was a perfect question for you. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, for kids, play is learning. And they're basically, in terms of brains, that's what we're talking about here, uh, they're challenging their sensory systems. And the brain is learning to organize those experiences into something that makes sense to it. And the three-year-old is going to pick up on anything you teach the five-year-old. So let them be together when you're doing homeschool, even if you're not directly teaching them. You can just set them up at the table where you're working with toys that only come out during homeschool. And they may wander off eventually, but you'd be surprised at how much they can pick up. Mm -hmm. I have grandchildren right now that are one and a half and three, and the one and a half-year-old picks up so much when I'm not even paying attention to her. (laughs) So um, for organized, keep all your teaching materials in a crate or a storage tub. Uh, So look over what you want to do the next day or the next week. If you're really organized, you can look at the whole week ahead. I can't do that. I have to do it like day at a time and add this to the tub. So you have everything right there. So you're not running around the house at the last minute trying to find everything that'll help things go smoothly and keep three-year-old corralled too. Um, And it's okay if things are a little chaotic on occasion, because then your children see how you use your executive executive function skills to organize, get yourself back organized. And then the last thing is just the fun and engaging relates to learning new things in a way that's understandable. So fun and engagement evaporate when the material is out of reach for your child's current abilities. So to keep it fun and engaging, keep it at their level. That's probably the, the easiest way to think of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, those are great answers. Um, So the last one that you wanted to wrap up with is from Gretchen. Um, She says, what can I do day to day to give the best possible opportunities? Okay. So I kind of summarized five things (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you can do. So number one is assume intelligence. 
Yes. IQ tests are designed for verbal kids. They're not a good indication of your child's actual intelligence if they're nonverbal. Mm. Only their neurological organization, meaning their ability to answer questions designed for normative testing. <laughs> so don't worry right. about an IQ score. It's not, yeah. it's a measure to me for special needs kids. It's just a measure of neurological organization according to a school model. So number right. two is teach a method of communication that will carry into adulthood. Don't waste your time teaching something that they're not going to be able to use. Because one of the other questions uh, that we got was about, I think you're going to do it tomorrow, is the child's frustrated because they're trying to communicate and people don't understand. Right. So uh, just start working from the beginning on something that will carry them through. Number three, assume competence as you teach, meaning believe your child can learn. There is so much going, their brains are working. <laughs> Whether we can, they can express it or not, their brains right. are working every they minute are. of every day, just yep. like yours, just like mine. Mm-hmm. Or teach every word in context for the yes. nonverbal child. It will take your learning, make the learning so much faster that way. I speak from experience here. It's impossible because you because you can't have a conversation about what they're learning. Right. You don't know if they get it. But if they're learning it in context, they get it. Um, and then you can use a typical curriculum for a guide. But don't be afraid to teach words that are not on the list. Just like we were talking about earlier. You know, you're cooking, right. sauteing the vegetables. That's not going to be on a kindergarten list. But yeah. Teach them the hell how to spell but those words. Use how to use yep. those words. Exactly. Don't 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 be tied to a list because your kid has scatter skills anyway. That that can be an advantage when it comes right. to learning. Like this. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, and then the last thing is recognize that language learning is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> Yes, yes, absolutely. That, that's a great summary. And I love that you ended with with that list, because it really puts everything back into perspective. Um, what what are we doing? And why are we doing it? We're doing it to prepare our child for the future and for life, not to just get, you know, all the schoolwork done and to say, you know, we we caught them up, we you know, it's sometimes homeschooling makes doesn't make us look good. <laughs> it just doesn't. Um, we just were there. We're homeschooling to make our child in, you know, to raise them up in the way they should go. And, and that looks different for each of our kids. And, um, and it's not going to follow the same pattern. And it's, it's going to be sometimes very different than you expect it's going to be. And, but it's a learning process all the way around. And, um, and you just do what's best for your child and not what everybody else thinks you need to do. Yeah. And I like, I say, I I like what you said earlier about, um, high school graduation isn't the end of learning. You've still mm. got another decade where you can teach your child many things. And then they still have maybe two or three more decades after that to live it out. Absolutely. So don't, don't worry about the timing. Just worry about your child. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So Stephanie, where can our community find you? Okay. Well, I have two websites. One of them is elarplearning.com and that's where my curriculum is. And if you go to the about page, it talks about the curriculum and it kind of talks about some of these things I've talked about in a different way. You might want to read that. If you go to artofspecialneedsparenting.com, I have um, I have some freebies there and I have a it's more developed because I've had that website longer. So right. it has some freebies. It has a little uh, presentation on the first page that you can look at some articles. And those are the two places where you can find me. Great. Yeah. And I will have that information on the YouTube description as well as in the podcast. So you can just click on those links and find Stephanie very quickly and all of her amazing resources. So, so thank you, Stephanie, for being on the show again. This is, this was engaging and, um, and you had so many good answers um, and information and I know it'll, it'll bless many in in the the, um, months and years to come um, being able to share this content with others. So, um, so thank you just from sharing from your experience. Um, oh, once again, it was I awesome. enjoy it. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I always thought, yeah, okay, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm a, neuro, I'm a neurology nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. We're all gifted in different ways. That would just, yeah. <laughs> I knew my daughter's when I, we were talking about vacation coming up, she's like, you aren't just going to just do a bunch of health books, are you? Because <laughs> I'm always trying to figure out how to, you know, solve this sore muscle issue and everything else with me. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I may read something just for fun. We'll see. <laughs> but, 
but yeah, we'll see. So, so thank you again, um, Stephanie and um, make sure to check out Stephanie's um, resources at ELARP learning. That's E L A R P learning.com. And then the, and it's just art of special needs parenting.com. So both of those websites have a lot of great resources and thank you for sharing all of that, um, Stephanie with the community and, um, you definitely want to check it out and just for everything that you do. Um, Stephanie does a lot of things behind the scenes here. It's been homeschool too. So I just want to, um, give her a shout out too for that. Um, and so she's just a blessing to, to many. And, um, and are you speaking at any conferences coming up? I am, um, I'm not speaking at a conference, but I will be a vendor at the HEAV conference in okay. Virginia in June. Awesome. And they have a, they have a special needs conference. I don't know if people know this, if you're in Virginia or surrounding areas, it's that conference takes place in Richmond, Virginia, which is like right okay. in the middle of the state. Um, but they have a special needs conference day they've added. So they have a special needs track during the Friday and Saturday conference, but mm -hmm. they have added a, just a special needs conference on Thursdays. And they have a little vendor hall for just the special needs That's um, awesome. crowd. And they said they're going to have several, I think last year they said they had 400 people and this year they're ex expecting like 600. So it's That's not great. a small, it's no. not a small thing. Yeah. It's, it's only $50 whether you're a member or not. Okay. Yeah. That's great information to have. And, um, and so, yeah, definitely. If you're going to the Virginia conference, connect with Stephanie in person, that's, um, that'll be great. So I'll only right. be there on Thursday, by the way, cause oh, okay. I have to, I have to go out of town on right after that. So I'll be there Thursday for the special needs conference. Oh, wonderful. Yep. So, yes. Yeah, so if that's coming up, um, soon, so mm -hmm. definitely check, check that out. And then, um, I'm going to be back tomorrow. We'll continue talking on tapping into um, some uh, communication um, pathways for nonverbal children. And that's uh, will be the last broadcast for this month of um, our focus on nonverbal learning. And then we'll be hopping into another um, topic um, in June. So so thanks all for joining us. And um, we appreciate you um, just being part of our community and joining our conversations. And we'll see you all next time. Bye and God bless. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. This has been Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. If you're tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling Ikea furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend, Abby, and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.